Welcome to The Deep End by On Deck, a podcast where visionary builders, creators, and experts discuss world-changing ideas. I'm your host, Marshall Kozlov. Let's dive in. I think that there are other avenues outside of DeFi that are easier even to onboard, right? Like the whole rise of like gaming and the metaverse, right? This play to earn, which is where you don't even need money to participate in the ecosystem, right? You can log on to a game. I guess you have to have some money because you need internet and a computer, right? But I don't need to like on-ramp dollars, right? So you can like play these games and you can earn rewards in their native tokens, right? And then you can take those tokens and move them to, you know, trade them for some other type of token, right? And I think that that is like another big step in, in onboarding and getting more people involved in the ecosystem. This is probably our most in the weeds Web3 episode yet. If you're newer to crypto, I recommend you scroll back through our feed and listen to any of our episodes with Patrick Rivera, Cooper Turley, Jared Dicker, and several others to give yourself a background to enjoy this one fully. As a bonus, you can also listen to our episode of Stephen Sykes from Public to build a background in traditional finance. Joining me this week in the deep end is Barrett. I introduce him by his first name only because like past guest board Elon Musk, he's operating relatively pseudonymously. There is one of the core contributors behind the Cypher protocol. Cypher is a futures protocol built on the Solana blockchain that wants to bring a new set of traditional finance opportunities to decentralized finance. They are doing this at a time when crypto users are quickly acclimating to concepts and tools traditionally used by Wall Street. We discuss this collision of crypto and TradFi, what a synthetic good is, the analogs for IDOs and pre-token markets, and end with the discussion on the cultural differences between Web2 and Web3 companies. A quick note, another core contributor to the Cypher project, protocol named Izzy, had originally planned to sit in on the episode recording just to listen. But after she chimed in with an interesting aside to Barrett, we decided to actually bring her fully on stage into the conversation. So you may or not hear her at the beginning, but we're thrilled that she joined to provide the nuance that she did. Barrett, welcome to the deep end. Hey, thanks, Marshall. Uh, super excited to be here. Something I'm curious about before we get into the specific work you're doing with Cypher Protocol is, as you're referencing the need to onboard over a billion new users, I'm curious how you think of these early cultural touch points in crypto and whether, like, what 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 do you see as being incredibly important? What needs to be preserved? What do you see maybe changing a bit? I'm curious how you think about that. At the end of the day, as you get more and more people from you know the traditional world into like Web three and crypto in general, uh, culture like inherently changes, right? Like if you looked at like internet culture back in like the early two thousands, it's wildly different than it is today, right? Like inherently with growth comes cultural change. I think that there are always like principles that will be around for the long term, um, kind of like that pseudo anonymity and a little bit more privacy than you have. Um, in like web two world. Um, I think that that's like something that's like really fascinating to me is like showing people that they have the ability to, you know, maintain more privacy and um, some like cool things out of like the crypto like ecosystem is like helping people like monetize their data, right? 
how like Facebook and Google and all these big, you know, companies just fall in. I mean, like it's freemium for a reason, right? They take your data, uh, they do whatever they want, they sell it, et cetera. Um, whereas I think that there are some really cool trends, um, like from Brave, um, the browser, uh, where they, you can like block, um, like you can like turn on their rewards like system and they will actually pay you in their native token, which is bat to like allow for platforms to utilize your data. Right. And I think that, um, it's, I think the ethos of like giving power back to the people and like democratization will always be there in crypto, no matter how many people join uh, the ecosystem from like the traditional world. Right. I think that you will still have anons and pseudo anons, maybe lesser to an extent than we do today, just because the ecosystem, albeit big, considering where it was, uh, you know, three years ago or even like 10 years ago. Right. Um, it's still like relatively small comparative to a lot of, you know, bigger uh, industries that have been around for a long time. Right. Yeah. I think that's really well put. It seems like you're creating this dichotomy between valuable, but almost aesthetic choices. So it's an aesthetic choice to say, Hey, I'm pseudonymous. I have this thing in my Twitter bio, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, versus no, the core value out of these platforms is democratization, noticing where those gaps aren't being filled in traditional spaces or Web2. So that's actually a really useful way for thinking about this. Now, speaking of the Web2 to Web3 bit here, we were talking before, um, and I'm going to ask you to onboard me um, through the vehicle of Cypher Protocol, obviously what you're working on. But the key issue to remember with me is I... Um, skipped TradFi, um, not even onboarded onto that. Um, I am relatively new to crypto. So within that context, I'd love for you to just explain what you are building a cyber protocol in the context of treating me as that next billionth user who needs to be brought online. Uh, what Cypher is, is a synthetic derivatives protocol allowing for people to trade financial exposure to a variety of assets, right? Um, now, what I mean by synthetic Synthetic just is that you don't need the actual underlying asset in locked into the protocol to create some uh, exposure to it, right? Uh, for example, um, if you were to trade like a pre-IPO asset like SpaceX, um, your the shares, the underlying shares of SpaceX don't have to be in the Cipher protocol to enable the creation uh, of that like financial exposure to allow people to gain upside and downside, right? Um, derivatives go another step further, right? Um, there are a myriad of derivative products out there. Um, I think the biggest ones, right, the most common ones that retail, the average person know are like options um, and futures contracts, right? Um, so Cypher is a futures protocol, which means you're... Um, you know, trading or creating like financial exposure on what you or an institution were to believe some asset was worth at some future date, right? So again, um, we can go back to the SpaceX example, right? SpaceX shares are not public today. Um, through Cypher, you could create some representation of, uh, you know, SpaceX before it were to go public, right? And so you could have the execution date be that, you know, public date of trading um, and people institutions can come and trade and be like, hey, like, look, I believe that SpaceX will be this valuable um, once they go public, right? Um, and so that, that trading prior to the execution date, the expiry date of, you know, this derivative contract um, is what a future is, right? 
Um, and then we are obviously built on uh, blockchain. Uh, we chose Solana for that um, for a number of different reasons. Um, one, it being fast, uh, two, it being really cheap. And I think it's really important to have those two characteristics if you are looking to be global financial infrastructure, right? Uh, you need something that is extremely fast, right? Like Visa's payment network is, I think, like 40,000 transactions a second. The NASDAQ stock exchange is 429,000 transactions a second. Um, and then you need something to also be really, really cheap, right? Um, a lot of people around the world are not as fortunate as us as here in the United States or in Europe, right? Um, and potentially eating, um, you know, gas fees that are, you know, 20, 30, 50, et cetera, you know, dollars is, is quite expensive, right? Like even if you're an average person in the US and maybe you have, you know, $1,000 to invest, right? On your first transaction, you just lost, you know, $40, right? That's a significant amount to you. Um, whereas Solana, right? It's a fraction of a penny, um, which is essentially no different than you swiping your credit card, right? Uh, it's the same um, level of, of uh, frugality per transaction. And I think that that's something really important, again, to onboard all those users, right? So like cycling back on this you know, synthetic uh, derivatives protocol, our initial markets that we're focused on are pre-public markets, right? Uh, so pre-IDO, uh, pre-IPO, um, allowing for Ida, individuals and in institution. Oh, uh, initial DEX offering. Uh, so this is how protocols do a public offering, right? Um, so just like SpaceX will go to the NASDAQ and have their public offering there, a crypto protocol um, like ourselves or many of the others in the Solana ecosystem um, will have an IDO, right? Which is where they go onto a, a DEX, which is a decentralized exchange um, and allow for people to purchase uh, their tokens in a public manner for the first time, right? Um, and so the, these pre-public markets allow retail and institutions to gain that exposure um, before they, you know, were in, in, they were never able to like prior, right? Um, and I think that that's really important. Um, and that also helps the ecosystem, both in the traditional world and in crypto, understand um, and create less volatile public offerings, right? Uh, love using Airbnb as an example here, right? They IPO to the banks at $68 a share. They hit open market at $140 a share. Um, given the amount of shares that Airbnb issued, they left $3.7 billion on the table, which is over 100% of the amount of capital that they raised in their initial offering to the big banks, right? Who are buying it at $68 a share. So through this protocol, right? And having that retail and institution there trading um, and really bringing that price discovery forward, um, you can help facilitate you know, better public offerings, allowing companies like Airbnb to capture more of that value um, that they do deserve because they are the ones that took it from the idea to a publicly tradable giant that it is today, right? Um, and I think that that goes a long way. And also, again, it's, it's giving that power back to the people because retail has been widely excluded from uh, this area of investing. And I, it's, it's a really great wealth opportunity um, as well, right? And again, even a step further, right? We are limiting the types of um, the protocol itself, right? The mechanisms and way that it's designed is limited to late stage, you know, private companies, you know, series C, series D and beyond. Um, again, providing like an extra bit of safety to those retail users. Um, like there's no way Stripe is going to go under today. Um, but yet, 
they can still have, you know, an increase in valuation before the average person or even, you know, some institutions can get a piece of that on their public offering. And I'd love to get into lots of like definitions questions here because a lot of like really interesting places we could go with this. So let's just start here. Obviously, this is on a blockchain. You're using Solana. That is the literally Web3 part of this. But a question a lot of folks just tend to have with a lot of these Web3 projects is like, what is specifically at a literal level like Web3 about this? So you're using a blockchain, you're using Solana to quote unquote, like democratize this process. I'm imagining there's a way you can do this in like a more traditional sense. So you could change who can trade, you could trade, you could change like all these different changes here. So like, why if why if someone is just sort of saying, my objective is to increase opportunities for wealth, get more access to systems, why is going the web three route? I think that's the best way of putting the question, the way that makes sense to accomplish those goals. Yeah, great question. I think that a lot of it has to go to empowering the community, right? Um, like giving the people the ability to really drive the the direction of the protocol. Uh, so, you know, we will be moving into a DAO in the future, you know, once we launch, um, which is a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization that is governed and um, directed by the token holders, right? Um, and so uh, after launch, right, like the token holders are the ones going to go, hey, I, you know, being a token holder, want to trade, I don't know, um, like Klarna, for example, so they can make a proposal to the DAO. And then the community gets there and goes, let's vote on this, right? Um, whereas if it was a Web2 company, right? me or somebody else who runs an organization, right, um, would be able to be like, these are what you're trading and you can deal with it, right? Whereas again, like we really want to help like the people be the new drivers of the ecosystem, right? And maybe, you know, in the future, they don't want to trade pre-IPO assets anymore. And they, you know, don't propose a new asset to trade, right? Uh, and then it moves, you know, we're launching other types of markets, again, like pre-token markets. Um, we're looking at like NFT futures, you know, inflation derivatives, right? And so again, like the community can come and propose and be like, hey, like we want this type of asset to be traded, initialize the market um, programmatically via the protocol um, and allow for, you know, us, the people, the the token holders, the governors, the drivers, right? To really dictate how um, something progresses in the future. I want to get into the inflation derivatives, the NFTs and the tokens, but just a quick question around structure and the DAO. It's just interesting. So you all raised money from, you know, Web3 investors. Um, congratulations. Um, how does that work on their end? Um, in the sense that you you raised you raised money as if this were a traditional company. Actually, this is a good way of just asking it. Like what what is what is your protocol now? So if you, so if you're not a DAO now, how should people conceptualize what you are? So you're you're a contributor you're you're not the CEO, you're not the COO, you're not the co-founder. Like how should we just conceptualize what you are right now? And then how does that translate to an investor saying, "Hey, whenever this converts to a DAO, that makes sense for us." Yeah, absolutely. So, um again, like you you hit on everything, right? Like I am just a contributor to the protocol, right? Um you could think of us as uh open source software um, contributors or architects, right? Um, designing a system that at the end of the day is really going to be pushed forward by the greater community. And 
when investors in, in Web3, they are, you know, a, a lot of times they're investing in these like DeFi protocols, um, they're investing in the DAO, right? And the DAO is the one that has, you know, the tokens, not us per se. Um, and so they're, you know, getting a, a you know, pro rata right to some token alloc um, that is reserved for a, investors uh, on behalf of like the DAO, right? Um, and that is to help get the DAO off the ground uh, and really enable the development to begin to snowball and grow that community, right? Um, and so at the end of the day, in the future, right, how there's a smaller team potentially like working on the protocol. Now um, there could be hundreds of developers in the, you know, cipher ecosystem continuing to maintain and push the code forward. Right. Um, even better yet, other people can spin up um, applications on top of cipher or front ends on top of cipher. You know, the, the protocol is completely open sourced. Um, and so that allows for, any participant in the ecosystem or not even in our ecosystem to look at the code, uh, understand what's going on, build on top of it, utilize it, right? Um, they're just like building blocks, essentially. Um, in the DAO, the protocol itself does like generate fees um, for the DAO, right? To continue to incentivize people to contribute and develop um, and, and grow get, the ecosystem. Now that we've got right? a strong picture here and we know, I think people also have a, a strong understanding of what the, you know, pre-IPO space looks like. Let's just talk about the three examples you gave of spaces you could see this protocol getting into, assuming the community's um, down for it. So let's start with the inflation derivatives, then we'll do the NFTs and then the tokens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, inflation derivatives, right? There are like current, like currently, people look at like CPI, right? Consumer price indexing uh, numbers that are put out by the the government. Um, you know, I think that in today's world, inflation is changing much more rapidly than CPI numbers are coming out, right? Like we're watching what it was like six point two percent inflation a handful of months ago. Now it's I think at like six point five percent. Don't quote me. I. I think it's around there, right? So we're seeing like pretty rapid increases in inflation and that is, you know, impacting all these products, right? Like the everyday user, uh, the everyday person that's, you know, going to the grocery store, buying gas, right, is getting affected by these and they don't have a way to really hedge like their exposure to getting paid in US dollars, right? Um, and through this protocol, right, you can you know, give them real time, you know, derivatives that model inflation, uh, whether that is, you know, bucketing, creating, you know, uh, your own bucket of, um, you know, assets that can, you know, appreciate and depreciate based on inflation to help people understand like what's going on. You know, you could do rental car prices, um, or I mean, used car prices or rental properties, right? Um, you can, you know, Based them off of you know government numbers as well, um, and I think that there's a number of, of different ways to make something that's really powerful and can be utilized by the average person as well as you know institutions to hedge in a more real time way uh, than currently. Right? I mean, like retail in general is kind of barred from hedging against inflation per se, um, and so I think that that's something that's really important, especially as like we're watching a lot of governments around the world uh, print money at a pretty high rate um, in increasing balance sheets, right? And I don't necessarily see inflation curbing it, like that quickly. Um, I think we'll, you know, see some more of this, you know, six, uh, like five to 6% range uh, continue over, you know, probably like the next year or so, uh, especially with um, the 
a nominee uh, again with Jerome Powell um, retaining his seat at the Fed. Great. So let's do uh, NFTs and then tokens. Yeah, of course. So NFTs are a big craze nowadays, right? Like I think that an NFT is probably like the the average person's like onboarding into like DeFi and crypto in general, right? Um, it's a lot of the time it's associated to, to digital art, uh, these generative pieces, there's like a collection of a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand, right? NFTs. Um, and people are like, I like this, right? I want to use this as my like Twitter profile picture, or maybe there's a community behind it, or there's a game that goes with it, right? But now a lot of these nfts have become really popular and have like real like massive amounts of value right uh in the solana ecosystem i think nfts are around a billion dollars um so plus or minus like a hundred million i would i would guess which is a substantial amount of money people hold nfts uh, like like kids like me right and, and you and and izzy hold uh you know nfts that are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars right um and nfts can be volatile Right. And so having a derivative product, a futures product um, that, you know, models an entire NFT collection, not just like the floor price, uh, which is like a floor price is just like the lowest listed on like a marketplace. They can hedge uh, their financial exposure. Right. Uh, so maybe they hold an NFT and they're like, you know, I want to hedge a little bit of my, my risk. Right. They could take like a, a short position. Um, and hedge a little bit of that risk, take some money off the table. Um, so they wouldn't experience as much of a downside, but they also don't get to experience that much of an upside as well. And then on top of that, right, like the beauty about like an NFT, right, is that it's a, you know, a single token, right? So you can't, I mean, there are now platforms to like fractionalize it, but by nature, you can't buy like part of, you know, a bored ape, for example. Mm -hmm. And so now you have a lot of people getting into the ecosystem that want to have exposure, right? They can't afford to buy, you know, a board ape, for example. And so through a protocol like, you know, Cypher, they could, you know, trade that financial exposure to the board ape collection, for example, uh, and, you know, get to experience in that upside as well as the downside risk, right? Uh, and so like fractionalization can get you a big step towards, you know, like democratizing access to these really expensive, you know, digital art pieces, but um, like a derivative contract can help open up even more access, for example. And then uh, tokens, or yeah, then the last bit would be tokens. Yeah, and so the, the you know, uh, IPO markets as well, right? You have protocols that, you know, haven't launched a token yet, they're likely to launch a token um, and they need to understand what the market is willing to pay uh, for their token when they go to have their issuance, right? Um, and so we, the protocol can work with other protocols, right, or DAOs um, to, you know, create a market around their future token to bring that price discovery forward to go, hey, instead of listing at, you know, a cent, right, and having this massive run up, you know, maybe we list at five cents because that's what, you know, the market on Cypher said that the people were willing to trade these tokens at and value the protocol at uh, and have a less volatile IPO. And you're still allowing those, you know, uh, retail and other institutions to get in and participate in trading in these in these derivative markets, right? Uh, so again, like opening that access um, to that price discovery and you know that private capital market side that has kind of been um, picket fenced by you know VCs or um, extremely wealthy people for uh, the lifetime of uh, you know traditional investing. Something I'm curious about. I want to go back to the the previous 
just broad objective mm-hmm. of uh, onboarding the next billion users. I'm curious, as someone who's building and contributing in the space, what what do, what do you see? And this could relate to Cipher, or it could not relate to Cipher. What what, do you, what when you try to onboard people, what, what do you see over like the next steps? Like, what are the actual practical obstacles to actually achieving that goal? Yeah, great question. I think there's you know a couple of them. I think education is a big one. Easier on ramps is another big one. And I think I actually would say that those are like probably wait, wait, let's what's 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 let's go back. Because this is really interesting. What what do you mean by education? Yeah, great question. I, I mean, I think that there's like this could be like a number of different topics, right? So um when when I think about like education, I think it's you know, educating people about like, hey, what is blockchain? What is crypto? Why do I see doggy coins pumping, you know, a billion percent and people turning from, you know, college kids to millionaires overnight, right? Um, to like, hey, like, how does this actually provide value to like the financial, global financial ecosystem, right? Like, what is a protocol? What is a DAO? Um, and I think that these are like big questions, right? Because I think that a lot of times like there's... Um, like stipulation uh, stereotypes around crypto, is it being you know sketchy or there are like criminals involved with it? Um, and that's not the case, right? Like there's a lot of people that are building really cool applications out there that are benefiting, you know, that can benefit a lot of people. Um, like what Ave and Compound and Jet on Solana uh, and Soland, right? These big like lending giants are you know allowing for people to take loans out. Right. Um, and I think that that's something that's like really cool, like where it might take me a month or more to get a loan at a bank. Right. I could go to Jet or a number of these other lending protocols and take out a loan. Right. Um, and I think that that open financial infrastructure is something that is, you know, lost uh, in the general discussion a lot of times when like media is portraying this to like the average person. Right. Um and then I think, you know, more so, right, it's like understanding, like, hey, what is, like, what is a scam versus not a scam? Um, like, why is this protocol valuable, et cetera? Uh, I think, like, those are some, like, big pieces that that still need, like, more education uh, out there, right? Um, and, you know, I'm not the person to be like, hey, this is exactly yeah. how you, you know, make the proper education. But I think that it goes a long way for people like Izzy that are like writing articles, uh, Gabby Douglas. There's a number of other people out there that are, you know, writing uh, research articles, blogs to help people understand, hey, like this isn't actually that scary and it's not as bad as it's made out to be, right? By general media. Sorry, did you mean, did you mean Gabby Goldberg? Yeah. What did I say? Gabby Douglas. You say Gabby Douglas. Yeah, I was yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I was, I was like, well, Gabby Douglas, Olympic gymnast, has made a big career pivot. Oh man! Another um, user onboarded. We'll keep that in. That was just that was just funny. I was I was like I was like, whoa, did I did I miss that? That's a pretty because like athletes and and people getting into investing is really hot. Right? It's like wow, she just skipped. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. She skipped straight in. Gabby, if you're um, listening, so, Gabby Douglas, if you're listening to this, DM me. We'll we'll onboard you into crypto. Yeah, and and. This is why the reason why I was asking about the education, something I've just been thinking about. I'd love just like your just generic thoughts on this is I was thinking back to my first like web two experience. And obviously I was in like high school. I wouldn't have referred to it as that, but someone just came up to me 
not came out to me. I was, I was just hanging out. So, but hey, like, you know, Facebook is open to high schoolers now. It's pretty cool. It's like face, it's like MySpace, but it's better. I didn't need to get educated on anything. I didn't know what the word web two was. I basically didn't have to understand effectively anything, any part of that process other than here's how you upload a photo and make sure you have your high school email address. <laughs> so as I'm thinking of this web three transition period, I'm just thinking about how we should understand this moment in the context of how most people in our age cohort got into previous eras. Cause, Cause this is just where I, this is just where I see the gap. Because I'm glad you brought the example of lending as an obvious one where it's like you said, hey, this takes a month, this works faster. Obviously like the blockchain is a it's a feature, but it's not the primary thing you're selling someone. So I'm just curious how you think about how this space will evolve as you just see the need to get more users who just aren't going to care about the background parts. Yeah, absolutely. Um I think that this was something that was like prominent in web two, right? Is like back in the day, there was a bunch of just engineers, right? They were just building tech companies and user experiences were poor, right? Uh, and then as like, you know, more designers, product people, marketing, business people like got involved, right? It eased the transition for, again, that average human being to like, be like, all right, like this is really easy to use. Right. Um, and I think we're starting to see that kind of, that, that critical mm -hmm. point uh, in crypto as well. Right. Um, what, what uh, it used to be dominated by engineers. And I think for the most part, it's still predominantly dominated by engineers. Um, but you're starting to see like more of uh, the Again, like the business, uh, marketing, PR, uh, design, those product people like getting involved and going like, hey, you guys have built like something really cool underneath everything. Let's make it better and more accessible, right? Uh, let's make the user experiences better. Let's make the onboarding processes better. Um, and I think that having somebody look at a DeFi protocol and going, oh, this isn't like that much different than onboarding to Robinhood is very close, if not already there in some situations, right? I do think that it's still a little hard um, from like the on-ramping of actual money, um, like getting you know, your US dollars into you know, a crypto asset to then trade on some of these DeFi protocols, right? But again, it's becoming easier and easier with the rise of you know, FTX pay, uh, Moon pay, um, Dharma, right? Like all of these people. Um, and I think even Rainbow Wallet, right? They have the ability to like link you're like Apple Pay and you can just pay with your credit card and get crypto, right? And so I think that those are like the first like big steps that you need to make it feel as if it is no different than that of like a Robin Hood and just opening a um, you know trading account with them to begin to like invest and buy stocks. Um, I think that there are other avenues outside of DeFi that are easier even to onboard, right? Like the whole rise of like gaming and the metaverse, right? This play to earn, which is where you don't even need money to participate in the ecosystem, right? You can log on to a game. I guess you have to have some money because you need internet and a computer, right? But I don't need to like on-ramp dollars, right? So you can like play these games and you can earn rewards in their native tokens, right? And then you can take those tokens and move them to, you know, trade them for some other type of token, right? And I think that that is like another big step in, in onboarding and getting more people involved in the ecosystem because they're like not even having to think about it isn't like, oh, I have to start like a trading account, for example. Sorry, I didn't want to, I don't mean to interrupt. I just said, Barrett, do you also want to push what 
Cypher's doing, like with the new educational content that we're going to be putting out for people um, um, for the Solana ecosystem I mean, in particular? Or do you not want to mention that yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I would love for you to mention uh, that. Izzy Derek. is uh, you know, kind of taking the lead uh, at Cipher in you know putting out a lot of like educational content um, around like, hey, what is DeFi? What is you know Solana? Why is it important? How do you onboard people? And you know, she's also like beginning to like reach out to a lot of other protocols in the ecosystem to collaborate on, hey, like this isn't really just an effort that needs to be done by, you know, one protocol. This is really like a group effort by the entire ecosystem to really advance the knowledge base of people. Right. Um, and I think it, it's, it's pretty cool to see that, you know, Izzy being a contributor cipher is, you know, taking, taking like charge on that type of stuff um, and, and working with other teams around the ecosystem to, again, like push like the understanding in the most basic senses of like, what is crypto? What are protocols? What is DeFi? What is a DAO? Right. And I think that that's really cool. Yeah. And Izzy, would you mind joining, joining the episode for a second? Yeah, of course. This is really useful. I'm glad you're here because it brings together something that struck me, Barrett, when you were explaining how engineers are obviously still huge, but what's really unique about this very specific moment is we're at a moment where in Web3, you need other things too. This isn't so, you know, and once again, not to make it seem like starting a Web2 company in 2006 was easy, but the joke that you kind of Mm -hmm. make, someone, a previous guest made this, I brought up a couple of times was Uber- Airbnb, Facebook, in all three of these cases, Mark Zuckerberg was not actually good at human social interaction. The Airbnb folks had never run a hospitality company and Uber had no knowledge of the taxi industry. And these are cases where actually the ability to have a strong conceptualization and then also like just 10x engineers made it so this was primarily a code problem. And it seems in all of these web three spaces, what's really interesting is that this none of these things that we're describing here are just like, if you hire the right engineer and then work 24-7 for a couple of weeks, you'll just solve it. So Izzy, I would just love to get your perspective as basically to help listeners understand how different the world looks when we're looking at these types of protocols. I don't see a world in 2007 where I am speaking with uh, a person who's writing content and contributing this way. So I'd, I'd love just to hear how, how, I mean, I guess I'm doing this too as a podcaster at OnDeck, but how, how do you feel as a, as, a, as a content person filling a role which just hasn't really been needed to be filled at this point until now? It's really interesting. I think that content is actually going to end up playing a bigger role in the Web3 space because there is such a need for pumping out the kind of materials that people who have no background in this space can really engage with and deeply connect to. And I think the ability to craft deep and meaningful stories that resonate with a wider audience is what's going to end up making this movement everything that it actually promises to be. The interesting thing here too is that I think more so than in Web 2, um, all of the different elements of a traditional organization, you know, marketing, product, community building, development, those are actually a lot more intertwined with Web 3. You're not going to see so much separation. And in the way that Web 3 companies are, are structured, especially DAOs, where you have contributors and you have people who are taking on a lot, you're going to see a lot of crossover of traditional roles. And I think that, you know, for example, someone like me who has um, a marketing storytelling art background, I'm teaching myself Rust because I feel like 
I need to in order to more fully understand this space. Now, I'm definitely not going to ever be a, a dev at the level that Barrett's at, but I think it's really important to educate myself in those types of elements so I can be a better marketer. You know, I'll ask this. I'll, I'll ask this of the two of you, building on what you just said, Izzy. What 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 is the story that Cipher Protocol is telling? Because earlier, Barrett, you said you said community. You made reference to people. But everyone in Web3 is going to say some version of that. And at this point, it's basically a commodity. So I just I would just love to hear from the two of you from mm-hmm. your like unique perspectives. Like when it came to working, there are a trillion different projects you could have worked on. Like what what is it about this specific project that you know was and also the other thing too is stories what unites a community together, narrative, et cetera. So yes. I would love to Izzy, you just spoke. So if those to you bear it first, but Izzy, then get your answer. At the end of the day, right? We have uh, the, uh, one of the slogans in Cypher is like trade the untradeable, right? There has never been a point in time where a retail individual um, or a global citizen has really had the ability to trade exposure to pre-public markets, right? Um, and so I think that one of the, like the real core like pillars of what you know Cypher represents is is giving the people the ability to trade something that they have been told you can't do, right? Um, And I uh, am a big believer in the fact that if you are going to allow an individual to go to a casino to gamble potentially their net worth away, why are you going to look at them and be like, you can't invest in a startup, right? Um, I think that that's like, you know, a a relative joke. and so I think that like one of the big like drivers when, you know, uh, the original team uh, like started to, to, to build this build cipher, right. Was like, Hey, like, let's, let's give the people the ability to trade something that, you know, they are told that they can't trade. Right. And because it is in fact, like a great opportunity for them. Um, we've watched, you know, a lot of uh, wealthy people make a lot of money. We've watched a lot of, you know, VCs make a lot of money and sure we've wa- we've watched, you know, both of those organizations lose money, but people lose money in the stock market as well, right? As long as you're building something that isn't fraudulent, um, you know, if somebody loses money, like investing in the stock market, like, nope, like that's just the name of the game, but it's the giving them that ability to create that exposure for themselves, right? Be, letting them be in charge of their own financial destination. And just to hit a quick point that you hit earlier to remind the audience, but like you said, like there's a reason why you're starting with the stripes of the world. Like the 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 the, the key thing is when your 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 gambling metaphor is the right one, but you're not. It's not as risky, obviously. The the, the picture is not like we're giving everyone the opportunity to walk into a, a really terrible shady casino here. Um. So so I appreciate that y'all are thinking on that level. But yeah, Izzy, what's your perspective? So, um, I got started to get very interested in blockchain about a year ago. And this whole, you know, Web3 space wasn't anywhere near where it's at today. And, but when I first started reading about it, it was the first time in my entire life where I felt like there was a piece of the financial world that was actually speaking to someone like me. I grew up, I was raised by artists who had, you know, a terrible relationship with money. And I love my parents. They're amazing. But I wasn't given the skills that I needed to be successful financially in the world. And there's so many people who are, you know, locked out of those skills because 
they lack the education, the resources, or even the tolerance for risk that's required to succeed in TradFi. And when I first met Barrett, Alex, and James, who are the core contributors of Cypher, and they told me their vision and what they were building, my mind was just absolutely blown because I knew in my heart of hearts, this is the protocol that the world needs so that we can expand opportunities for wealth creation that have never been open in this way before. And that's why I'm just so happy to be here because we're able to tell a story, not just a marketing story, we're able to tell a story that's true on every level and include more people in this universe that have never been included in an opportunity to um, to create money for themselves before. So it's really just amazing. No, and that's I, I really appreciate both those answers from the two of you because I, I'm personally as a podcaster interested in storytelling. The, the, the other next question that I'll ask both of you, um, whoever wants to answer it first can pick it, will be more organic this time, is how – do you have any suggestions or just what, what are your emerging thoughts on how DAOs and communities should just be organized? Because I think a quick bit of frustration as a person who I'm obviously not a journalist when I do this, but I cover a space is that there seems to be a lot of presumption around these really, really uniquely new models of organizing human beings, focusing on a project as being inherently superior to things that are also just pretty new. So a little too many examples of people saying, oh, like DAOs are just going to replace LLCs with, without just saying like, well, maybe, but there's this huge universe of challenges that are going to emerge there um, to actually make that happen. So so if you think, and I'm not saying that you need to argue that DAOs are going to fill every single role and place LLCs, I'm more speaking to the overheated rhetoric. So as the two of you look at this idea that DAOs can serve better functions than previous models, what are the features, leadership skills, organizing abilities, cooperations, et cetera, that are going to make that possible? So I just wrote an article for FASCO about why I think um, DAOs are going to be a unique way that we can close the wage gap. Um, and so first, I want to preface this with any new tool or piece of tech that comes out is not going to just magically create world peace. It's going to be the way that we as users pick it up and implement it in our daily lives. But why I'm so bullish on DAOs is because they offer more meaningful ownership across the board for contributors. So in a traditional company, you might you know, negotiate a certain percentage of equity as you come in, and then you're kind of stuck at that floor. And even if you do a bunch of awesome work, you can still only negotiate so much more as you climb up the corporate ladder. But certain DAOs, and again, all DAOs are structured differently. Um, some of them, you earn more tokens or earn more governance, the more work you do. So it's a flat structure that's more transparent, that's more open, and that's more merit-driven than a traditional work structure, which is what I'm really excited about. Because we know traditionally, um, women especially might not be as good as negotiating equity for themselves as you know a very charismatic man. Um, and so that's why I really think DAOs are going to be really important for creating more um, equitable financial opportunities, especially for women. Yeah, and uh, it's hard to follow that up, but <laughs> follow the yeah, follow um, follow that Barrett, please. <laughs> just come up a tidy, easy. Just please exceed that very clear and actually very helpful example of how a DAO could be superior. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I will, um, but the, I think that DAOs are are like we're we're at the t like this like 
new point in the world where more people are now educated than ever before. And the cool thing is um, like a DAO is essentially just like crowdsourcing ideas from a number of people and then incentivizing them to continue to participate in the ecosystem, right? Um, and so, you know, there are a lot of like bright people out there that have like really good ideas that can participate in a DAO that, you know, if they're like an employee at an LLC, right, or employee at like a big tech company or like just a corporate company in general, that if they're new, you know, you have to climb like the totem pole to like really get your idea out there. And I know that like a lot of people are like, oh, tech's like more meritocratic. Uh, but in reality, like a DAO is, is, is more so, right? Because everybody looks and like um, can like vote on the idea of like that anybody proposes, right? Um, and I think that that's like something really beautiful. I think that they took like, I think co-ops are like really cool um, from like the web two world and like even well before web two was here, co-ops existed, right? Yeah, that's, um, that's, a, that's a pre-internet category. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I think that, you know, what DAOs have done is taken what a co-op was and put incentive mechanisms behind it. Uh, and that right there is something that is really powerful because you have buy-in from the community to continue to push an idea or a concept forward. Yeah. So this is, this is helpful. Sorry, Izzy. I, I wish we'd actually brought you into the episode earlier because this is actually adding a really, a, a really useful um, perspective. So here's what I want to finish this up with. I want to ask a question to both of you. Um, I kind of got this. So when we, when we, when we, ask each of you unique questions. So, so Izzy, I, I, we got Barrett's like vision for articulation of like why he thinks this project cipher protocol matters deeply. I think we got from you an articulation of why DAOs themselves matter, but I would just love to hear from you, like what particularly at a deeper level beyond just the democratization, like excites you about cipher protocol. Cause once again, I think the thing I'm just trying to get at is a lot of folks Okay, this is actually a better way of phrasing this. I think we've still got a three, four, five-month period where a lot of folks are new to the whole decentralization and democratization are unique value mm -hmm. adds. But a year from now, someone will be listening to this podcast and say, okay, obviously – that's what excited them about like a, about a DAO and a protocol. So I'd love to hear, like, thinking of y'all's vision for the next few years, like, what are you most excited about? I am so excited well, let's, I want to start from like the industry as a whole. So from a Web3 perspective, I think it's going to absolutely fundamentally revolutionize our relationship with work, but also with time. So what we can expect to get out of a single investment and the time it takes to flip a JPEG. So if you think about Board Ape Yacht Club, which, you know, those NFTs were first dropped in April of 2021. Just a few months later, you could sell yours for hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? So like now people who are engaging in those kinds of investments, their relationship with money and time is totally changing. My relationship with time is changing. When I'm you know, offered new work or getting the opportunity to participate in new Web3 projects, I'm thinking about money and time in, in that standard where before in my life, I would think it would just, it would take an entire lifetime to make that kind of money. So I think that that is something that's going to fundamentally alter our culture. Um, also, from a DAO infrastructure perspective, what I think is really cool is someone like me, you know, who's primarily an artist and storyteller and writer, I could contribute those skills to several DAOs and do my best work 
and know that I'm driving an impact with my best work at several different companies, instead of focusing on, you know, excuse me, protocols, instead of focusing on one thing at one company in spending a whole lifetime to get to the point where I can contribute my best skills, do what I love and do what I'm best at. Um, so something I'm really excited about too is Web3's ability to empower artists and creators. So right now there, you know, what we're seeing with NFTs is like the reality is very different than what Web3 is promising. Um, there was a great report that came out, Bloomberg reported on it. And I think it's like 55% of all NFT sales are actually only going to 16 creators. So that's a huge disparity. And there's obviously a lot of work to do, but I think we're going to start to see a lot of protocols that are opening up opportunities for more and more creators to profit off of um, both music NFTs and art NFTs. So what I want to do, um, and this is something that we've been talking about with our friend Frank at Genesis Go, he and I had a long conversation. We're so excited about Web3's opportunity to create more prosperity for people because when you're stuck in that survival mode as an individual and it's just like, where is my next dollar coming from? You're not focused on what amazing gift you're giving to the world. You're not focused on your art and you're not focused on what you're creating. Like I can't even imagine how many you know, Mozart's or Steve Jobs that there are that we've lost because they've been stuck in survival mode their whole life. And what I am the most excited about for Web3 is to empower those individuals so we can have a more prosperous and elevated society. Okay. I said this was going to be the last question, but you said like five really interesting things I need to follow up on. Could you speak, you know, I'm a creator and the real talk thing is that when I talk to a lot of creators, they hear the talk you're giving around opportunity and prosperity, everyone hears it, but they're also just deeply afraid of people perceiving that they're focused on speculation. Because the interesting thing is that, mm -hmm. you know, art is hundreds and th hundreds of thousands of years old, but there's obviously like a lot of um, like cultural baggage built in. Like, hey, you're a starving artist and art is something that is pure and you're, and you're, you know, living in some hovel in Brooklyn and no one really knows your name, but like you're building something pure. And obviously podcasting is, is not at the same level in that in any way whatsoever. But when I speak with other podcasters who are, are plugged in and are interested, they still feel reluctant as creators to engage in web three because they are still personally concerned that they will be perceived not as people who are trying to create like a better, fairer business model, but as people who are engaging in speculation. So like as like an artist who's engaged in these community, could you just speak to those people? Because like, I will tell you, like people don't talk enough about this, but this is, this is like when I'm, when I'm re referencing creators, like I'm referencing like big names that people would recognize that are excited by the story you're telling, but in the back of their mind, they're just terribly afraid of what I just described. So I'm curious how you think about that. Totally. So it's kind of, it's a little bit challenging. I'm a definitely an anomaly. I was really lucky to be raised. My dad's an artist. And, you know, even though it was definitely feast or famine, I got to grow up with someone who was able to only do his art and raise a family of five only doing his art. So I didn't really have a fear um, being a creator in my life of that. I knew it could, it could happen. So that's, and it, obviously that perspective is you know, very unique because most people I talk to um, say the exact thing that you just said, Marshall. And I think in order to fix that problem, it's going to be a dual path where protocols are going to have to put out the right educational materials to show how NFTs can be used in a bunch of different use cases. And it's not just going to be 
selling a CryptoPunk at Christie's, right? There's going to be a lot of different use cases and a lot of ways for a lot of people to participate. So that information needs to be widely circulated, one. And then two, individuals need to be open. We need to see that the world is changing very fast and therefore how we create and the kind of art that we make can change too. And I think the more open we are to that, the faster everyone can um, can benefit from this change. And then... Very, very well said. And then Barrett, to throw you the last actual question this time, what are you, what are you just excited about? Um, obviously, you know the, the press release is out. Your your last name is hidden. We're having a good conversation here. You were just in Miami. We were talking about that. Just what what are you excited about? Like both of Cipher and just like the space in general over the course of the next basically going until summer because something that you all have also written about is you know you know we obviously had NFT summer so I think we're going to go through a literal winter here. Well, just what are you excited about basically focusing on? Yeah, um, you know I am really excited to you know continue to like push Cipher forward on like what products uh, derivatives. Um, that we can provide, uh, that the community can spin up, right, um, to be as beneficial as possible, right? I think something that's really beautiful about blockchain and crypto, uh, and I guess DeFi more specifically, is the untethered creativity for financial engineering, right? Uh, so I come from like a math and finance background. And so the ability, <laughs> the, uh, the ability to design derivative products um, that and 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 allow for the community and and retail to participate, I think, is like something really awesome, right? They're like OTC derivatives is like the biggest like you know monetary value of of derivative products, and that has been excluded um, from like retail forever, right? And even a lot of institutions can't do that, right? Um, and so I think that being able to like design these products and, you know, utilize them for the betterment of people and institutions like financial accessibility, I think is something that really excites me, right? Like, for example, there's like this kind of cool, like use case in derivatives, where a ski resort and a farming organ like operation will enter into the opposite side of a derivative contract, right? Because a good winter for a ski resort is a bad season for a farm, right? And so they like hedge each other's risks. Now, that's like in America, right? And probably in Europe as well. Uh, and again, like then that's only available to like, the top of the top institutions, right? Uh, or like commercial farming operations. Um, and now everyday people means that, you know, a farmer in Central America or South America or Africa or, or Southeast Asia could enter into the opposite side of an agreement with, you know, other organizations or even people, right, that are looking to earn a lower yield and a safer asset. Um, and that's really beneficial and makes the global financial system uh, more beneficial and inclusive than ever before. And that right there is something that like really excites me and being able to like wedge Cypher in there and, and help be a platform that provides this type of stuff um, is something that's, you know, that makes me wake up every day and love what I do. Really well said. Barrett, Izzy, thank you so much for joining. A lot of a lot of great writing out there on Cyber Protocols, so I suggest everyone take a look. Um, best of luck over the coming months. Thank you so much, Marshall. Really appreciate you uh, having us on to the podcast. 
Thank you so much. This was awesome. Thanks for joining us in the deep end. If you enjoyed your stay, give us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with your friends and colleagues to help grow the show with us. We've also got show notes and more episodes available at ideas.beyonddeck.com. See you next time.